Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to Arden First Baptist. Arden First is a place where you can belong, believe, and become. And we're so glad you're here. Uh, one of our sayings for this year, um, for those of you joining us, is all in. And every year I like to come up with a kind of a theme of what is our church about. And we want to be all in for what God is doing in and through us and our families and our personal lives and also in our community. And I appreciate you guys each and every week um, as you leave the church, you go out into the mission field. And I'm so glad that so many of us are being the hands and feet of Jesus to our community. So this year, remember that we're all in. Let's hear you say it. All in. All right. So today we're going to continue on in our series in Ephesians. And I'm excited. Today's a fun message. It's about marriage. How many married couples do we have out there? Raise your hand. All right. How many singles do we have? Okay, we've got some singles. It's fine. If you're single, just look around. You may see someone across the aisle there. <laughs> church is a great place to meet, right? My wife and I met through a church, so it's good. Um, so, you know, part of, part of this message is going to be applicable to everybody. So if you're single and you're like talking about marriage, don't check out because it's going to have application to your relationship with God, number one. But also, if you intend to get married, there'll be some very practical things. Um, but before we get into Ephesians 5, um, I want to tell you about last Sunday after church. Something interesting happened. I took my wife, my, not my wife on a date, but uh, that's coming up next, baby. It was my, my daughter, Kira, my oldest. We, we go on dates, and, um, and we went to a place called Clyde's Restaurant. Anybody ever been there? It's in Waynesville, right near the Walmart. Okay, some of you. Had been there. It was established in 1941, so it's like one of these old diners, like from the 40s and 50s, where you go in and they have burgers and fries and other stuff. And so we go in, and Kira's like, "I want to sit by the bar stools and the counter." And I was like, "Okay, let's, let's sit by there." So we're, we're, we're chatting, hanging out, and I have not really been to many diners, uh, been to few, but I didn't realize if you sit at the bar stools, that means you want to have a, a public conversation with whoever sits next to you. And um, if you want to sit on the side, that's private booth. So we set the public area. So a gentleman sits next to me, a nice guy. He's in his mid-50s, and um, he's going back to school to be a uh, forest ranger. So he was talking about all the earthy nature stuff. I'm like, that's cool, and we're talking about that. And uh, then he asked, so what do you do? And as soon as I tell them what I do, the conversation always shifts. Either they freeze up or they open up. So in this case, when I told him I was a pastor, he opened up and he shared about his experience being a Christian and being spirit-filled. And the conversation shifted to that direction. So we're talking and uh, Kira's like, what about me, Dad? You're talking to all these people. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we're sitting in the booth. Everyone wants to talk, you know. So uh, another guy comes on the other side and he's talking and, you know, chit-chatting. And so it was a fun date. So as we leave and we go to pay for the ticket, the waitress says, your meal has been paid for. And I'm like, Really? Um, who paid for it was the guy sitting next to me that, that wanted to be the uh, you know in the forestry and she said no it was the bus boy and I'm like the bus boy paid for a meal I never had even seen him or met him um, so I went to shake his hand and he was a 15 year old bus boy and uh, I asked the waitress before I talked to him why did he pay and you know she just said he he says you're a nice guy and I'm like I never even talked to the guy I mean what what was he thinking so the next day I slept on it and I was thinking hmm he was behind us clearing the tables and probably overheard our conversation. And most likely he was a believer and, you know, wanted to bless another believer. 
And I began to think, what would life be like if life functioned where we, we, we were receptive to what God's doing in and through people? What would the world be like if everyone was filled with love? I mean, how many 15-year-old busboys? I was thinking about uh, the meal wasn't cheap that night. It probably took three hours of his salary to pay for that meal, and that just blew me away. So I need to return the favor to him and, uh, I mean, probably struggling 15-year-old. But today we're going to talk about when your heart is in the right place, great things happen. When your heart is not in the right place, there's struggles that happen. So we're going to do the famous passage about husband and wives. And this is exciting. And, you know, just a little backdrop um, as we've been studying Ephesians. The first three chapters talks about who you are, your identity in Christ. And the last three chapters are how to put that in practice, the practical. So the last three weeks we've talked about walking in light, walking in love, and walking in wisdom. And today we're going to talk about the byproduct of being filled with the Spirit, how that affects your relationships. And in upcoming weeks, just a preview of the next few weeks, we're going to talk about in your job, employee, employer relationships, and also your children. And the context sometimes that we forget as this is a byproduct of people who are being filled with the Spirit. Here's how this affects your relationships in your marriage and in the job marketplace and with your children. So keep that in mind. Uh, this is uh, Spirit-filled people. This is how relationships are. So also as we read this text, realize that Paul addresses the woman's greatest need. Does anybody know what that is? Is love. And the man's greatest need is respect. But the, the tension is it's also the hardest for the other party to, to fill that, fulfill that need. So as Paul addressed that, and you guys are cringing in your seat and you're like, he's going to use the S word, submission. Or he's going to, you know, use what? It's, it's all positive. Um, but no, this is our greatest struggle. So for the wives and husbands, the one thing that Paul addresses is also your greatest struggle to do. So just keep that in mind. And also, as, as a grace note... I like to say if you're on a scale of 1 to 10 and being the best, let's say 1 is like a poor husband and 10 is like the best husband, if you're a level 4, make it your goal to be a level 5. Just make progressive steps. That's what the old timers used to call sanctification. So don't see this as like, oh, I I can't be that. Understand the Bible lays out the perfection and we're just to take steps towards that. And it's not that we'll ever be perfect, but it's about progress. Amen. So having said that, let's look into the text. And Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21, it says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say to submit to men in general. That's uh, a misinterpretation that some people have said. It never tells women to submit to, to, to men, but only to their husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. Now, husbands. And by the way, husbands, it has twice as many verses for you as for the women. Maybe us men are slow learners and we need repetition. So as we read this, notice how many times it uses the word love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to, what? Love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now look at verse 32. He points really what the whole conversation is about. It's about Jesus and the church. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now verse 33 is a really good verse if you want to underline it in your Bible. It summarizes the entire passage into the cliff notes, if you will. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his wife as he loves himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for your word. As we look into your word, we pray that you'd speak to your hearts. We pray that we would see this not as something like, man, I'm not doing it, but we would see it as this is something I'm going to strive for. So, Lord, I pray for all the husbands that they would strive to be better husbands and that the wives, Lord, would just rise up to the calling that you have for their lives. And, Father, for those who are single and widows out there, I pray that in this text that they would see the ultimate relationship it's referring to is Christ and his relationship to the church. So, Father, speak to our hearts and help us to understand it. And we pray your blessing would be upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if we look at this text, the ultimate backdrop is verse 21. If you'll take your listening guides. It's the backdrop of mutual submission. Notice verse 21 says, submitting to one another. Now, a lot of times, especially with the wives, whenever we use the S word, submission, it's like it seems to be like the dirty word in church. But submission is not a bad word. Um, it's actually a very good word. And it's actually a military. Anybody serve in the military service? Okay, some of you military. It's actually a word that means to get under rank, under the leader's authority. And in the context of relationships, husbands and wives each have roles of submission. The husband, for example, um, in his job, he's called, and we're going to study that in the following weeks, he's called to submit to his boss. He's called to submit to Christ as the head. And the wife is called to yield to her husband's leadership. So it's, it's a mutual submission going on in this text. So we've got to understand the heart of this is humility and submission. But also notice in verse 21, the motive behind it, out of reverence for God. So this whole passage is really about your respect for God. And we said it last week, if I can submit to the highest authority, I have absolutely no problem submitting to lesser authorities. But if I can't yield to God, I'm not going to yield to anybody else. So when you notice somebody that's in the workplace and they will not listen to their boss and they do not like authority, really they have authority issue with God. Um, and if you solve that authority issue with God, it's easier to submit to others. Last year, I uh, brought out an umbrella, if you guys remember. I asked some of the people. No one remembered this, so I brought it out again. But uh, don't they say you're not supposed to open umbrellas on stage or in, indoors? So, uh, so anyway, this, this umbrella, whenever it's sunny, it doesn't do a lot of good. But when it's raining outside, it protects me from the elements. But if I hold the umbrella like this, does it do me any good? So I want you to think of submission as an umbrella. It protects you from the elements. Whenever I get under it, I'm protected. Whenever I push it away, I'm unprotected. So as one pastor once said that stuck with me through the years, he says, if we will get under 
what God has over us, God will raise us above what he has under us. You need me to say that again, don't you? If we will get under what God has over us, God will raise us above what he has under us. In other words, if you can learn the principle of authority, that God places authority in the government, in the marketplace, and in the home, and you respect God-given authority, you're protected. If you push against it, you're vulnerable to the elements. So one of the greatest lessons we can teach our kids is we usually say, honor thy father and thy mother. What are we teaching them? Authority. That God lays authority, and if we get under it, we're protected, and it's for our own benefit. If we resist it, we're the ones who suffer harm. So that's kind of the backdrop. And I really love how it says, submit to one another. The former, um, she's went on to be with the Lord, but many of us love uh, Ruth Bell Graham and her, her articles and her stories. Such a great asset to Billy and the ministry and, and their mutual ministry together. But she once said, a good marriage is the union of two forgivers. A good marriage is the union of two forgivers. And I remember when Lori and I first started dating, she thought this was kind of weird at the time, but now she gets it a little more. As I said, Lori, you understand that I'm a fallen person. You're a fallen person. We're going to mess up. So we need to give each other permission in advance that we're going to forgive you before you even make the mistake. Because how many of us realize we blow it all the time? What would it be like if you gave forgiveness in advance? I'm already forg- I know you're going to mess up. Not that you do it intentionally, but I'm going to forgive you even before you do it. It makes us more transparent, more willing to admit, hey, I blew it. And it's living in a community of grace. So if you guys are with me, say, uh-huh. So instead of addressing the wives first, I decided to skip to the husbands. So how many husbands do we have out there? Say, uh-huh. All right, I got a lot of men. So the disclaimer is none of us are perfect at this. I'm not perfect, but I hope, hope to have 50 more years to work on this. So as Paul lifts up the standard and you're squirming your seat, just know uh, God's working on us. It's the process of sanctification. So there's grace here. So in your listening guide, the first point of a love that lasts for a lifetime is the husband is the servant leader of the family. The husband is the servant leader of the family. I read a story recently about a couple that they had been married for 15 years. And some of you are, I know one of you celebrated 17 years. Brother Stephen, right, 17 and, but they've been married 15 years, and they started noticing that they were having more arguments than normal. And they're like, I thought this was in the first year of marriage, but now we're back. And fighting and bickering, and the husband was on the wife's case, the wife was on her husband's case. So the wife came up with a solution. You know what we need to do is have a fault box. So instead of arguing about everything, write down what you're upset about, about the, your, your partner, and put it in the fault box. So every time the wife would catch her husband doing something, she would write a slip of paper and put in it, and the husband the same. And after a month, they would look at the fault box. So each one exchanged boxes, and the wife opened up, or the husband opened it up first, the wife's fault box, and it said, first piece of paper, leaving socks on the floor. Any of you guys guilty of that? All right. You're not honest. Come on. I talked to your wives. Um, did not put underwear in the dirty hose, hose clamper. Um, hamper, I mean. I said clamper. Um, yeah, I need my cup of coffee. Um, I'm probably guilty of doing that. So, and it went through the list of, you know, left your shoes out, um, didn't fix me coffee in the morning, all this list. And he's like, I'm sorry, honey, I'll try to work on this. 
And she opened his box, and everything in his box, every slip said the same thing. I love you. I love you. I love you. And the wife realized, I'm seeing it from a little different perspective than he is. So when Paul says, love your wife, that's her greatest need. But why is it that men struggle with loving their wives? That's a good question. Our young adult class studied that, and we said mostly the reason is that sometimes men can be selfish. Now, wives don't look at your husbands, but we love to go out with the guys and sometimes forget you at home. We love to do things, you know, go on that bike ride or whatever. And all those things are fine, but not to the neglect of your wife. And all the ladies said, amen, you guys can pay me later, right? So, um, but it's a struggle. And part of the struggle roots back to Genesis 3, if you want to go back to the theological bearings, that whenever humanity fell, part of the man's curse was he was going to have to work by what? The sweat of his brow. So now the man's trying to work, but he also has the responsibility to love wife. And you're trying to balance, okay, I'm, lo- I'm working hard, but I also got to make time for my wife. And it's that tension of being the provider and being filling your wife's emotional love tank. So if you look at the uh, listening guide, just a few highlights we're going to go through. Is you, number, The first, under, first bullet point is this. You model sacrificial love and devotion. So the Bible says that love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed himself for the church. He gave his life for the church. He adores the church. He builds up the church. He establishes the church. He's for the church. He's praying for the church. He's there for the church. He's interceding all the time on behalf of the church. Now, what if husbands would do that for their wives? Husbands, do you think the wife would respond a little better if we started doing that? Ouch. Husbands, if you start loving your wife with the same passion and purpose that Jesus loves you, your marriage will soar to new heights. That's something we all got to work on. Another aspect, if you look at verse 26, you serve as the spiritual leader of your home. Verse 26 says that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Did you realize, men, that if you're married, you are the pastor of your home? The Bible says your wife, that you're to uh, have an influence of her that's equivalent to the Bible spiritually cleansing someone, the washing of the water of the word. So let me ask myself and yourself a question. How are you? How's your church going? I get that asked all the time as a pastor. How's your church going? Well, how's your church going at home? I'm going to start asking people to ask that question. Well, how's your church going at the home? Are you shepherding your wife? Are you loving her? Are you having a positive influence on her? I read a a survey that happened several years back, focused on the family, and it was mind-boggling. According to the survey, if a child is the first one to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% chance that they'll lead their entire family to Christ. If the wife becomes a Christian first, there's a 17% chance, according to this study, that she would lead her whole family to Christ. You know what the percentage is if the husband becomes a Christian? There's a 93% chance that he'll lead his family to Christ. And that's mind-boggling to think. And it's not that anyone's less than, it's just God has called the husband to be the leader and um, to, to, to make a difference there. Look at verse 27. Another thing the husband does as a servant leader is you bring out the best in your wife and family. I love verse 27, that he might present her to himself, talking about Christ, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
Dads, husbands, did you know that you're to bring the best out of your family? The illustration is Christ is working on us as a church. We're already forgiven, we're already pure, and we're that positionally, and he's trying to make that practically. Well, your influence as a godly husband and a godly father, you can have that positive influence on your family. And that's, that's really important. That's hard to do. But your goal is to bring out the best in them. So most of us guys enjoy sports. Not all of us, but some of us do. So think of yourself as the coach. And you're trying to prepare your team to be the championship team. Anybody watching the NBA Finals out there? Any Cavs fans? Uh, how many Warrior fans out there? All right. So you are preparing your family to be the championship team. You want your family to win in life. You want your, your kids to win in relationships. You want your, them to win in eternity, which really matters, that you lead them to a personal relationship with Christ. Your kids, you're trying to prepare them like arrows sharpen, and you're trying to shoot them out into the field, as I believe it's Psalm 127. You're preparing them for life. And it's really sad to think about, but parents prepare their children to eventually leave. I don't like to think about the leaving part, but that's the goal. You're, you're equipping them and preparing them. Not only that, but verses 28 and 29, um, read along with me in your, your notes. It says, The husband ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Skip down to verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So just a few points there. Husbands, you're the courageous protector of your wife. You know, you protect your own body, right? Well, part of being a husband is you protect your family. All the ladies said, amen. That's why when your wife hears that noise at night, she has you get out of bed. Guess what? why she asked? Because you're the protector. So how many of you have ever had to get up at late at night because your wife heard a noise? Not in a long time. <laughs> you know, it's like, go, go check and see what that is. All right. You're also the generous provider for your wife and family. Notice... It says nourishes it. And guys, whether we like it or not, there's heavy weight for us to be a provider for a family. Now, it's not saying women can't provide and contribute, but throughout scriptures you see the weight is, is, is on the husband to nourish the wife. Um, we adore and cherish your wife. Notice it says cherishes it. How many of you ladies love to hear your husband say, I love you? You're beautiful. I think you're amazing. I think you hung the stars. Whenever I'm with you, it's like a shooting star blazing through the dark night. I mean, women love to hear those things, right? My wife sometimes thinks they're cheap. But, you know, they love to, to feel the love. Not all of you ladies, but most of you ladies are pretty emotional. If you think that's true, say amen. So part of the woman's need is, guy, you need to fill that emotional tank. I know it's hard for men because we're not as emotional. But your wife, as a general rule, there are exceptions, is highly emotional creature. All the guys said, uh-huh. So to love your wife means you're filling that emotional tank up. So even though you don't like to say I love you, force yourself to do it. Even though you're not emotional, it doesn't matter. That's her need. What would you think, men, if she didn't meet your needs? Which I'm not going to go into detail with those. If she said, I don't feel it. You need to have the same response. Whether you feel it or not, do the right thing. And all God's children said, amen. Also, you learn to love your wife as much as you love yourself. So let's just be honest. Most of us really like ourselves. You take care of yourself. You feed yourself. So the Bible says, in the same way you love yourself, if you can just translate that to your wife. Translation, a spirit-filled husband learns to put his wife first. That's hard. 
Um, but that, that's something that, that we got to work on. You guys have all heard the saying, happy wife, happy life. Uh, that's a nice statement. Let me rephrase it in this context. Love your wife, love your life. Happy, okay, let's think about happy wife. Holy wife, that's much better. Life. Because a happy wife, she's happy, unhappy, but a holy wife is a much better life. Amen? So that's, that's a really challenge for men. I know as guys are squirming here and looking at the clock, is it 12 o'clock yet? But listen, God's given you, for those of you who are married, he's given you a jewel. And if you will learn to love her as Christ loved the church, it's just going to do such wonders for her life. And it's going to make her just respond to you in such a way that you're going to have a marriage that lasts for a lifetime. So you, you guys ready for the ladies part? Well... I, I kind of thought about this, and I'm like, okay, this may get a little scary, me talking to the women. So I'm going to ask my wife to come up here, and um, she's going to talk to the ladies. So everyone give Lori a hand. She's a little nervous. <laughs> okay, we're on microphone number two. Yeah, this isn't so much my thing as it is his, but um, he's like please, you haven't done it in so long and not at First Baptist Arden. So here I am. Um, I just have a a few things to say. Um, But it's very humbling to talk to the wives here because so many of you have been married like triple or double the amount of time we've been married. And you're so godly and you inspire me every time I see you loving your husbands well. So... Let us look at God's word this morning for our encouragement. And I just have some, a few points to, to bring out um, about the scriptures. So let's look at it um, again at Ephesians 5:22, where it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. I know what a lot of you women think when you read this, and it's so not um, with societal norms to read this and have joy in your heart. But like all of us, when we came before the Lord and we married our husband, we wanted a marriage that was blissful and divine and just brought us so much joy and was it made you more of a a better woman than less of a woman but if we follow the way the world teaches us to respond to our husband it's going to tear our 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 marriages down Um, if we insist on our own way and we aren't loving and there's some funny um, character caricatures we can think about that could describe us at times that are um, not what God is prescribing here, but we could be manipulative, Molly, dominating Deborah, my way, Melissa, or combative, Colleen. Um, but when we look at the scripture, um, it, it talks about submission. And like Timothy said, this isn't a curse word. Um, it could feel like one if our husband is using it to lord over us like you must submit to me. I mean, that would be very difficult. 
to to come under. But what it really means is it's a voluntary um, it's voluntary on the part of the wife to come under his leadership and yield to him. Not that she isn't intelligent or have so much to give to the marriage and so many ideas and direction, but when there comes a point where we don't agree, it's at that point we have to walk in the Spirit and humble ourselves to enough to say, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to trust that you're going to seek the Lord in this, and he's going to lead you. And when you step away and you have hands wide open with it instead of trying to control, which is our natural tendency, that's when our husband's like, okay, wow, I really need to take this seriously. And that's when he'll seek the Lord and ask for his guidance because he knows at the end it was all on him. So we can find freedom in that, but we don't have the weight on us. So um, when Paul is talking to the wives, I just think of the weight of this scripture. It's like it's not comparing the birds to the trees and the wind. It's saying wives to be subject to their husbands like Christ is to the church. It's like, wow. So a lot of us have read this. A lot of us have, we know this, but do we live it? Do we really try to not um, control and um, tell our husbands what to do? Some husbands um, aren't, aren't leading I've heard a lot of friends say that. My husband doesn't take the lead. He doesn't lead spiritually. And that's why the woman takes the reins. But um, as Timothy mentioned, men's greatest need is respect, and our greatest need is love. There's this cycle um, in the book, Love and Respect, and it talks about as um, the husband unconditionally loves his wife, that helps her respond in unconditional respect. And as she responds in respect, he does in love. And it, it goes on and on, and it's a blessed cycle. That's just how we thrive in our marriage. But there are times, or any marriage, even the ones following Christ, where one person isn't doing the part that the other one needs. Um, you can talk about it. You can... You cannot talk about it, but um, the only way to get things back on track is first to pray and ask the Lord to convict our spouse's heart. But the other thing that we can do is we can do our part, regardless of what they're doing, because God is going to hold us personally responsible for how we walk out our marriage. We can't control the other person, but we can ourselves. So if our husband is not acting like someone we want to respect at that moment, is doing something that's not respectful, um, we can still show him out of our reverence for the Lord, our ad- admiration for him. We can be his cheerleader. We can encourage him to do the right thing. And when we do that, when we don't have undermining comments or just, he can sense it. He can radar. He has a radar if he, you're respecting him or not. And when we do, it just helps him to flourish as a man. And in turn, he'll start being more loving and we'll start flourishing more in our marriage as well. So 
um, all of us can do something, and, and we can pray, and God can move mountains, and he can make our marriage heavenly, and, and just a place of encouragement for both the, the husband and the wife. Um, so <clears throat> sometimes husbands and wives, we think that in order, in order to be equal, we have to have the exact same role. And truly, God didn't make us the same. He made us male and female. We're both equal in, in that we're both bearing the image of Christ. Or bear, and, sorry, We're both um, created equally in his image. But, um, but we have different roles. And we, we thrive in, in our own role. And we each need each other to give that role in order for it to be a, um, two becoming one. So we can think of marriage as two lanes merging into one as a picture of marriage and two lives, yeah, two lives merging into one. So we can think about um, driving on, merging onto the interstate. And as a wife, we can, another word for submission is yielding. So we can merge into the traffic and we can say, well, There's no reason he can go first. There's no reason he gets his way. And and we start to have this kind of rebellious spirit. And it's going to cause a collision. But if we just see it simply as non-emotional, the order of things, um, we yield lovingly. And our husband lovingly takes into account our heart as well and loves us well. So um, if both people... And humble oneself, um, it's just going to be a beautiful marriage. And it made me think of John um, 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one, one's friend. So more than a friend, your husband, we can lay down our life and our hearts and our dreams. And he is going to see Christ in us so much that he's going to want to Consider your heart in each situation that comes along your way in your marriage. So, um. all right, thank you. Did you do a good job? <laughs> she did a great job. Thank you, Lord. So, um, it's, it's really a challenge, you know, to think about. And as I said, Paul addresses their greatest need and also the greatest struggle. And um, for those of you listening guide on your bullet points, uh, the wife allows and encourages her husband to be the leader. And the wife also allows the husband to be the spiritual leader of the home, just as Jesus is the spiritual leader of her heart. And there's six dysfunctions that can occur whenever... The order is out of balance, and whenever there's fighting over who does what, uh, what Lori was saying is there's equality in being, there's difference in function, but there's unity in purpose. I'll say that again. There's equality in being, we're made in God's image, but there's difference in function. We each have different roles, but the unity in purpose. So let's look at some of the dysfunctions that can occur. The first thing is the marriage can lack direction. If no one's really taking a true lead and you're fighting over who does what, 
Um, the marriage can lack direction. The second thing is also the marriage can lack purpose. The purpose of a marriage is to glorify God. And if marriage is functioning outside of the way God made it and his design, then it's easy to go off purpose. The marriage can lack passion. Many of us who have struggled in this area um, have really had fights over who does what and conflicts. And I remember Laura and I, our first year of marriage, the biggest thing we fought over is finances. Some of you ever struggle with that. Who does what? Some of you are rolling the eyes, yeah. So, you know, we, we had to work through some of the issues and that restores passion whenever you're united together. Decision-making will be a challenge if, if, if you're not in, in, in view of who's leading. And there's like, uh, as Laurie said, anything with two heads is a monster. Anything with no head is dead. It just can become really uh, divisive. Raising children can become a nightmare as spouses have different styles of parenting. Um, that can be, you know, the husband wants to parent this style, the wife wants. How do you come together? You can expect excessive fighting about the finances, as I mentioned, if, if there's not proper leadership. So, in, in, in conclusion on the woman's part, every husband wants to be the hero. And wife, she may not realize this, but the husband will live either up or down to your expectations. So if you are talking down to him like this, guess what? He's going to live down to expectations. But if you're positive and upbeat and, honey, I believe in you, you can do this. Um, I don't care what anyone says about you. Guess what? The husband will try to live up to your expectations. So set the bar high because that's how God has made him. All right, finally, and we'll be brief in our final point, there's some beautiful mysteries about marriage. I, I love verses 29 and following how it says that um, the church, you know, this represents Christ and the church. In verse 31, this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to, to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So marriage is a symbol of Christ's love for the church. And uh, some of you are wondering why there's a mirror on stage here. Um, it's not so I could fix my tie that's loose right now, but it's, um, it's so you guys could look at your reflection. Did you know that whenever... You're married, your spouse serves as a mirror to you. You guys ever think about that? So here, here's something about the husbands. As a general rule, the wife is the mirror of the marriage. So whenever you look into your wife, you see a reflection of yourself because you're one flesh. So I've, I've heard it said um, by old timers been married a lot longer than me, but often you can determine the quality of the marriage by observing the wife. If she carries herself well, if she takes care of herself. It usually means the husband treats her well and is taking great care of her. If, she, if the wife lets herself go and is discouraged and bitter, it's usually a reflection of her husband treating her. And that's not always the case, but it's a general principle, the marriage mirror. So husbands, when you look into the mirror of your wife, what do you see? If you don't like what you see or the same for the wife, uh, you have to look at yourself. And that's sometimes hard to look at. But your, your spouse becomes a reflection of yourself. And some of you even look like each other after you've been married a long time. You ever notice that? <laughs> and some of us guys, that's a good thing. And some of your ladies are like, oh, no. But, uh, you know, you begin to learn. Um, the second mystery is the process of marriage. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Leaving, leaving cleaving, and weaving. It's a beautiful picture that a, a, a man leaves his father and mother. 
and he becomes one flesh with his wife, and together they weave a life together. It's a beautiful picture, and it's a lifelong process. Uh, Henry Ford, the famous automobile maker, on the occasion of his 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary, they asked, what is the secret to your marriage? And he said, it's simple, just the same as in the automobile business, stick to one model. Stick to one model. Marriage is one man and one woman for the course of one lifetime serving the one true God. That's what marriage is. Marriage works best when we each focus on our role. So if I'm caught up in Lori's role, or she's caught up in my role, that's when you can become fight. But if I worry about being the best husband and she focuses on being the best wife, that's when marriage functions the best, when I focus on my part, not what you're not doing or vice versa. A one flesh relationship, verse 31, can only happen between one man and one woman in the sight of God. Um, Scripture never changes. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that's the way God designed marriage. So just uh, a few applications for singles. Some of you may have checked out, but check back in. The greatest relationship of all is your relationship with God. And Arden first, we want to declare that singleness is a gift. It's not a curse. So don't ever feel like being single is a bad thing. Paul said it's actually great for the kingdom. You can, you can have so much more time as a single person than as a married person. Because the marriage person, your time's divided. And your devotion is for your wife and for the Lord. And there's a lot going on there. But Paul said a single person can focus solely on the Lord. So that's a gift. So don't ever look down on singleness. And for the marriage, married people and couples and for those of your students... Um, you still need to focus on becoming the, the right person. You know, when you're, when you're looking to get married, you, you try to find the right person, and then you get married, but never stop focusing on, I've got to still become the right person for, for my spouse. So one truth to rethink, if you look at your listening guide, marriage is a work of art where one woman and one man commit to the lifetime of serving God and each other as a witness to the watching world. Did you realize that one of the best gospel presentations is a marriage that functions the way we're talking about? It's a 3D picture of the gospel. How much God loves you and cares for you and has a plan for your life. So here's your action step. For the singles, your action step simple. Go on a date with Jesus. Spend time with him. Maybe get on the parkway. Um, I look back on my single days and those times I spent with him intimately and alone and it just was so refreshing. And ultimately, marriage is a picture of your relationship with Christ. So focus on the reality of Christ. Don't worry about finding the right person, just trusting God. Uh, for married couples, it's the homework simple. Take your mate out on a date. You've got two weeks assignment. How many of you are up for this task? All the men, raise your hand. All right, why is they committed? You've got two weeks. I've got to find a sitter for four kids. I'll work on that. But just know that this is a grace message. None of us are perfect. I fall so short just like anybody else. But you know what? As we grow, we're not just human beings. We're human becomings. And God is making us more and more like his son. Let us pray. Father, I know that this is a challenging message. I realize there's so many of us that say, man, I struggle uh, in my singleness. I wish I had someone or I feel incomplete. Or in our marriage, I struggle because even in marriage, I feel lonely or there's stress. God, wherever we're at, help us just give that to you. I pray for husbands to be the best husbands they can be. 
and wives, Lord, to disempower them. I pray that you would help our singles, God, to realize that they're special and their relationship with you is the most important thing. And as we pray with no one looking around, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, you know, you talk about relationships and I've never had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the gospel that you can have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus. If you're willing to believe that Jesus died for you, he was buried and he rose again and you're willing to confess your sin and turn to him. The Bible says that you'll have a relationship with God. Is there anyone here that would say, Timothy, I need a relationship with God? Just raise your hand. No one looking around. I want to pray for you. I need a relationship with God. Father, thank you. You see our hearts. You know what's going on in in our lives. And I just pray for each and every person here, if there's one that doesn't know you, that they would just call out to you and ask you to come into their life and to save them. And you would give them a brand new start. Thank you, God, that we can have love that lasts for a lifetime. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.